spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Welcome if you are new here. What you are about to hear is an audio version of a astrology forecast that I shared to my YouTube channel, Sabrina Monarch, so you can also see it on video there. And this podcast is a place where I share both these forecasts as well as interview conversations with people that I find inspiring. Welcome back. This is Sabrina Monarch of monarchastrology.com bringing you the astrology forecast for March 23rd to 29th, 2022. Please like this video. At some point, leave a comment. Let me know what resonates with you and subscribe to my channel. Hit the notification bell so that you get notified when new videos come out. Last week, um, the full moon lit up uh, my Mercury Venus and I was receiving a lot of comments and letters and emails of just thank you for the forecasts and thank you for that love and that expression. It was very vivifying, very encouraging and very meaningful to me. And I'm really glad that you are tuning in and that you are having a good um, and expansive experience with these transmissions. So this week, Mercury and Neptune are forming a conjunction in Pisces, while Venus and Saturn join up in Aquarius. Mercury and Neptune come together for boundaryless thinking and perceiving, and the tendency to dream and fantasize, while Venus and Saturn together are serious about artistic standards, aesthetic standards, good conduct and boundary and relationship, and effectualness and pragmatism. So two really interesting combinations of planets to be happening at the same time. Venus Saturn has a drive for materializing Saturn, what's valued Venus, which is um, which as a process involves the artistry of saying yes or saying no, to say yes to that which contributes to the architecture of the vision and to say no or restrict that which does not. You know, this is like a value-driven or artistic authority, both in our artistic pursuits themselves, but also our life, right? Like how we say yes to experiences that vivify our standards and our self-worth and the dignity that we, you know, give others. Consider a film director or a fashion designer bringing a concept concretely to life or a person in a healthy, grounded, long-term relationship with a real foundation. When Venus Saturn is in a more disenfranchised state, there is a sense of calcification around Venusian themes, so the heart might be too guarded or one's standards might feel too isolating. The challenge is in learning how we relate with our boundaries and where it is appropriate to soften them and where it is appropriate to maintain them. Further, Venus Saturn can teach us about the grace of navigating obstacles and boundaries instead of hardening in the face of them. You know, I'll add here, this is happening in Aquarius and something that I've been reflecting on for, you know, in and out for many years, but also more poignantly the last um maybe several months is that people who um, are increasingly individuated, so separated from the norm, um, 
weird iconoclastic, um, even like spiritually developed, right? Like more than average people like this can struggle with loneliness because of that sense of feeling different. And it's like, where, where are the people, right? And there is a particular burden of that, that unusual people bear. And at the same time, I think there's some, there's like a narrow gate of that experience where we can either collapse into settling for, you know, what's not quite what we desire in life because it's already there and it feels safe and we belong already. Or we can, you know, hold that candle, hold that lantern and move through that dark passage of feeling lonely and isolated, continue to invest in what we love, continue to invest in our own individuation. And from that place, meet other resonant souls who are also along that path. You know, it's a... Um, it's a really interesting dynamic. I remember when I um, entered a grad school program at the California Institute of Integral Studies, I found myself among people that I felt so electrically, dynamically connected to in a way that I was used to mostly experiencing on the internet and at like an airwave level and at a physical distance. And to have that in the flesh, in form, right in front of me felt like the little blue light of like an electric connection from one telephone pole to another on the other side of the, the world, um, materializing into form. And I think there's that quality, like when we invest in our individuation, that when we take the less beaten path, that it can feel more poignant to connect with real concrete experiences that reflect that diversion that we took from the norm. And patience may be part of that path. Venus Saturn is definitely good with patience. Mercury Neptune, to switch to that, um, is visionary, if not mentally diffuse. In being an adept dreamer, we create more avenues and portals within reality for ourselves to explore. And then with anxiety, we also create stories, but ones that haunt us if we don't have tools for alchemizing them. Mercury Neptune can relate both to being mentally adrift, lost at sea kind of energy, um, or being inspired and enchanted. And so this takes a little bit of lucidity, you know, like if you would attempt to be lucid in a dream, are you also attempting to be lucid in your thinking, hearing the stories, hearing the logic and having that record skip moment of, wait, that story that I'm telling is not actually true. And of course, it's creating this like nervous system response or discomfort um, because I'm getting spun out on something. Right. And it takes a kind of self-knowledge and a getting to know ourselves to feel what true concern, true threat feels like versus random diffuse anxiety that's just, um, you know, a running program. The gift of Mercury-Neptune is to open the mind, to be able to fluidly navigate higher streams of inspiration and become less attached to anxious loops without avoiding real concern and real details that need to be attended to. So considering these two influences together, we might consider our creative and aspirational processes, what we seek out of life and in our dreams, and how we are willing to take responsibility for what we value. 
Mercury-Neptune promotes a creative agenda of opening our minds, while Venus-Saturn promotes an agenda of firming our aesthetic boundaries. So a little bit of contrast there in terms of the openness of Mercury-Neptune and the rigor and standard of Venus-Saturn. If there was any week to feel like life was an interactive and participatory art installation with fluid membrane-like walls that could be rearranged and our experience altered as a result. It's this one. And I hope that image makes sense, but that feeling that I was getting was that we have some creative authority, Venus, Saturn, to create the standards of the art project of our life. Within that container, there can be fluidity, right? Or if we want to go to Mercury, Neptune first and be, you know, in a state of daydream and, um, you know, mental travel, mental surfing, what happens when we hit a stream of inspiration that feels like ours to kind of crystallize and condense and bring down to earth. And in doing so, any form of manifestation, any form of concretization, implies limitation because instead of saying yes to every possible opportunity or yes to keeping all these doors open, it's like we're making choices and we're bringing something down into form. This may also be a week to play with choice rather than waffling in a place of indecision over which choice is correct and then not doing anything or agonizing over choices we've made being willing to play with the way life reshapes in the aftermath of making a choice, like the interactive art installation, cause and effect, is real. This is like an artist who sees their art as alive and takes each step in creative relationship with what is spontaneously happening in the work of art. You know, as someone who, like, I'm not really like a visual artist, if I paint, it's a surrender process, you know, like I don't have the capacity to materialize a vision in my head onto paper with a visual medium. So I just have to collaborate and participate with like this brushstroke is starting to look like a face. Like, let me go with that. Um, even writing, which is something that I do feel like technically proficient in, there is this process of like what what is the flow, what it's wanting to emerge as a process of surrender, not just rigid um, creating the exact thing that I have in mind. This you know, energy could also be the openness and curiosity we bring to our collaborations with other people. Collaborations is in what we are creating in relationship, you know, if not projects, staying receptive to surprises and novelty and amplifying ways of relating that come from places of dignity and respect. So before I get into our week in more detail, I'll share a few announcements with you. One is that you can sign up for my mailing list to receive these forecasts to your inbox every week, along with updates about courses that I'm teaching. Um, my books are currently open for astrology readings, both online, so anywhere in the world, um, over Zoom, as well as I'm now offering in-person readings in Portland, Oregon at Enthea Tea House in, you know, this very magical tea house with farm source direct tea and fabulous ambiance. And I'm really looking forward to getting to sit with you in person and talk to you about your chart in a private sky loft in this tea house. So if you want to sign up for either of those readings, you can find the link below, the links below. And then 
The Evolutionary Astrology Intensive, which is my signature introductory and yet deeply expansive offering about speaking this language of evolutionary astrology. This is an all levels course. It is um, consisted of pre-recorded content as well as weekly live calls so that we have an opportunity to get to know each other as a group, talk about your questions um, and vivify the material through community and conversation. It's all levels in the way that it is both, you know, introductory for beginners and juicy and like deep dives into all of the archetypes in a way that is compelling to people that have been into astrology for years or maybe even already have a practice, perhaps in another form of astrology like Hellenistic or traditional. Evolutionary astrology is about the soul's multi-lifetime journey, evolutionary journey, um, as a being who reincarnates many times to learn countless lessons until essentially we exhaust our desires to um, be separate from source. And at that point, you know, we return. So when I think about this, it's like, would I like to experience nirvana right away and just stop incarnating? No. (laughs) Even at times that I've been, um, you know, maybe in a state of despair or something like that, there is that deeper sense in me of like, no, I still have something more to do, or I still want these earthly experiences. So evolutionary astrology is about leaning into our incarnation, our desires as the spiritual path itself, that our soul is refining through learning these lessons. And there's an artistry, there's a um, discernment to it as well, where it's not just about doing whatever we want and having whatever we want. There's also the process of exhausting or letting go of desires as a point of the soul's evolution. So it becomes a way of both understanding astrology more deeply, looking at our natal chart from the perspective of having past lives, bringing some kind of story or legacy already into this life, and also some unfinished stuff that we're still working through. Um... So it points to the kind of inherent gifts as well as struggles in our chart and gives language and gives insight to those things. Um, But it also becomes like a living meditation. You know, I've been growing alongside this form of astrology since I was 21 and I'm in love with it. I love sharing it and I've loved living alongside of it because it's made every experience in my life feel not just like a learning experience, but a total adventure of being a soul who's incarnate into human form. And to have meditations, to have a way of paradigmatically thinking about life from that perspective of being a soul is literally invaluable. So I will leave the link to the course um, in the notes. It's around five months. It culminates in us reading our charts together as a group. And You can read more about the course and enroll through the link, including um, tons of student testimonials to get a sense of experiences that people have had going through this course. And that is it for announcements. So I'll get back into sharing about the transits um, in specific detail. March 23rd, Mercury in 23 degrees of Pisces, conjunct Neptune in 23 degrees of Pisces at 10.44 a.m. Pacific. Mercury and Neptune joining together can be supportive for mystical or miraculous thinking. 
After the potential rise of anxiety with the Virgo full moon that just occurred, there could be some settling or healing happening with this transit. The type of thinking that occurs with Mercury and Neptune together in Pisces is not necessarily that efforted. It's more like thinking that drifts into being, like a scent in the air, something that permeates into being. It might arise when we take some time to do something transportive and relaxing, like being in a hot bath or sitting with a tree or giving or receiving energy medicine listening to music, painting, and so on, like these kind of meditative merging with the flow activities. Something that defines these activities or points to them as a space through which we can receive the nourishment of this Mercury-Neptune transit is perhaps a focus on arrival rather than striving. When we are able to dissolve into a pocket of time and find intrinsic value in our presence with what is, we enter a more oceanic and even religious state of being. And here with religious, I don't, I, you know, I mean the quality of the experience, not a particular doctrine or dogma. Right? Like you could go to a tree all like rigid and intent on like, I must receive a message or a download from this tree and then sit there frustrated that you're not getting anything, right? Or you can sit with the tree and like relax and let your mind kind of unwind and unravel and feel into what spontaneously emerges in your own being once you've entered that meditative and relaxed state. When it comes to practical life things, details, paperwork, etc., uh, where we're trying to be accurate and perform business as usual, this transit can relate to our efforts feeling more diffuse. Things can still be accomplished but there may be a greater sense of needing to participate with the universe and trust how things are falling into place as a winding journey or ride in places where the trajectory is normally a little more simple or standard. This is what I hear about Mercury and Pisces, how it affects other people as a transit. It's what I live, so it's hard, <laughs> hard to see it that way. Um, but sometimes I think about how um, getting into a meditative state and getting into a flow with the universe and how that might open into, you know, being on a drive and hitting all the green lights. And it's like the meditative intention created the flow versus if we um, start driving and we're frustrated and we're in a rush and we hit all the red lights and we just get more frustrated and we keep hitting more red lights. It's like, who's to say, like, we don't have to get super intense about our capacity to create the, the flow of traffic. Like we can calm, we can calm down there, you know, but that energy where it's like, if you are kind of in flow with the universe and you feel the path open up and everything feels smooth, that's a different way of experiencing logistical ease that Mercury and Pisces, I think really speaks to. And it's almost like a sinking back and finding the wave or finding the slipstream and going with that as opposed to being in a mechanistic egoic place and then feeling frustrated that it feels like we just keep hitting a bunch of waves and feeling thwarted. At a surface ego level, feeling like one's plans or logistical plans are interrupted can feel annoying, but sometimes the detour surfaces a unique opportunity or turn of events that wouldn't have occurred otherwise. 
Mercury-Neptune can have a way of putting small details into a much larger universal context. Like in reality, it mattered more that we meet an important soul ally through a silly inconvenience than it mattered for the original plan to go forward seamlessly. Not all details or mercurial matters are rendered impossible or diffuse during this transit. You know, even though Neptune dissolves, it's just that our concept of accuracy expands to include more threads than we consciously recognize as within our purview. We are in touch with inspiration or an important intention, or when we are in touch with inspiration or an important intention, sometimes the specifics will also appear as though a sparkle of insight. People who work with the invisible, like inventors or seers, rely on this kind of consciousness. March 26th, Mercury in 28 degrees of Pisces will sextile Pluto in 28 degrees of Capricorn at 3.35 a.m. Pacific. This transit brings to mind, for me, a common question of, at the beginning of the journey of developing intuition, which is something like, how can you tell the difference between intuition and anxiety, a hunch versus paranoia? When we begin to open our perception to more than what is concretely visible, we're not just reaching up to the Akashic and celestial heavens and angelic realms, but also likely expanding our awareness of the shadow or subterranean realms, which brings us to Pluto. The unconscious material of Pluto is not just emotional and psychological, it's also the material that's encoded into our bodies through millions of years of evolution. Is that not super powerful? You know, if you think about that energetically, it relates to our survival instincts, which in of themselves correspond with the, cap the capacity to recognize threat, to have fear, to flee, fight, freeze, etc. Our issue then with discernment along the path of waking up to greater powers of perception is what kinds of stories or extrapolations we run away with. There's a difference between recognizing real threat and feeling physically and emotionally activated by potential or imagined threat. Mercury-Pluto contacts speak to mental purging or mental purification, which can happen at a logical level as well as a somatic or nervous system level. So what I want to say here is that as someone who, um, you know, identifies as psychic, clairvoyant, one of the things that has helped me is to just uh, divest as much as I can ongoingly from fear, which doesn't mean being foolish or not having fear in situations where caution would be worthwhile, but to, as a kind of discipline, detox myself from fear. And I wish I could give like an easy one, two, three step about how to do that. Um, it's been more of a spiritual intention and prayer, and then the path has opened up from there. But this is really important when we think about, you know, opening up our capacity to see um, is that then we're dealing with the unseen and the unseen naturally triggers um, the human fear of the unknown. And so if we're going to peer into the unknown and open our mind to more than what can be seen, we also need you know, to consider our own relationship with fear and how we um, unwind from that frequency. Mercury in Pisces works with inspiration, coming up with stories, plans, and visions based on a dream 
or nightmare. For thinking about Pluto here, there's that full spectrum. So Pluto and Capricorn can speak to a deeper container, the well or orientation that we're drawing from. There are certain inspirations you could say that come from fear, right? When we have time to reflect, introspect, pause, or be really intentional about what we want to move forward with something, we can exercise the kind of consciousness that draws more from real desire than from aversion, right? Like when you're acting from a place of creation rather than trying to avoid what you don't want. What actually matters to you? How do you align plans and details with that dream? Right? Not to say you can't plan for contingencies or something like that, but as an orientation, it's like how often are you planning for what you're creating? How often are you identifying with what you're in avoidance of or what you're in resistance of? So try this in small ways. For example, when I'm interacting with someone where there is a great love between us, but we have a complex history, I aim to be intentional about what I'm wanting to create with them that day or in that conversation. It allows me to come into the conversation with a more generous, generative state of being than if I were to come into the conversation expecting the worst or on guard, from, uh, on guard for the worst. It is a practical, mundane miracle to create something beautiful and loving in a place where we could have been more fearful. You could hold this intention when meeting someone new too, right? And like, um, what do you want to create? If you struggle with social anxiety and there's a lot of fears and anxious thoughts that go along with that, it's like, what do you actually want to happen when you enter a room? How do you want sparks to fly when you're having a conversation with someone um, how do you want to perceive the divinity of another person when you're talking with them? Like, these are things that we can have active, creative intentions about. <clears throat> so to switch uh, veins here, veins, <laughs> tracks, I have noticed that people can have spiritual awakenings and openings from very underworldly places, Right, A drug addict can get there. A person in an abusive relationship can get there. Spirituality and addiction are very connected. And so I'm thinking about spirituality with Mercury and Pisces and addiction with Pluto. Pluto relates to our compulsions and the things that we feel like we must have, um, as well as our unhooking from compulsive behavior and entering a more um, deeper state of personal power and free will. But spirituality and addiction are very connected in the ways that addiction is an attempt to fill the God-sized hole that can never be filled. And it's our relationship with longing or deeper meaning that's called for. And also in the ways that people often heal addiction in tandem with deepening or developing a spiritual orientation that through, you know, being in service to something larger than themselves, it helps them um, transform really deeply. Then along a spiritual path, we may be confronting our addictions, including subtle ones, right? Anytime we're acting from a place of compulsion that is not exactly us being in our free will or in our sovereignty, but we're just acting out like a script that we feel bound by, like that's kind of an addictive pattern. So opening spiritually ends up confronting us with real changes and transformations that we need to make in our lives, 
Sometimes it takes us time for that transformation, Pluto and Capricorn, Capricorn relating to time, but we still can be lucid, Mercury and Pisces, that we are on that path. A person can use Reiki every day to cope with an unaligned situation in their life, but eventually the circumstance itself calls for transformation, not just our relationship to the situation and our coping skills right? Like miracles can happen. Things can happen without our concrete intervention. Um, but sometimes along this kind of opening spiritually, it's like the message finally is like incarnate into matter, do something, change something. So this calls our spiritual practice down into matter, down into the deeper recesses of our attachments and our unconscious and shadow material. And this being said, as per the example I just shared, it could be the Reiki practice that is giving the person the inner strength or spiritual resilience to make these deeper changes in their life. You know, it's just where's the tipping point? We are continually responsible for how we balance the spiritual and the material, and one is not meant to entirely compensate for the other. Right. So any of us who have the skill to do like subtle energy work in the field, um, it's a gift. And I'm not saying don't do it, but think about where that becomes something that we lean on as a way to avoid um, changes on the 3D that, you know, might need to be made. And then March 27th. Mercury enters Aries at 1244 a.m. Pacific. So Mercury emerges from the oceanic, often undifferentiated Pisces and into the sharp, assertive, here I am sign of Aries. At a mental or experiential level, we may feel the sense of consolidation into feeling certainty or willingness to pursue a direction in places we were previously feeling more nebulous or diffuse. The offering may be that the diffuse or watery places showed us something we couldn't have imagined on our own, and now we're ready to act Aries from the vision that we gained. If we were swimming in more delusional spaces, this transit can also be like a friendly slash welcomed cold bucket of water to the face. Aries is blunt, you know? So March 28th, Venus in 21 degrees of Aquarius will conjunct Saturn in 21 degrees of Aquarius at 12.27 p.m. For the last several weeks, according to traditional astrologers, and this concept was newer to me, honestly, as a mainly modern astrologer in practice, but I was tuning in to this conversation the last several weeks, it was that Venus was besieged um, as she was in between Mars and Saturn. So she had passed Mars and she was catching up to Saturn. So she was in between um, two planets that are considered malefics in traditional astrology. I don't always consider, you know, I have a different relationship with how I perceive those planets based on having years of background, not even knowing the concept of malefic. Um, And I'm grateful for that because sometimes focusing on those planets as malefics is disempowering for people and those planets have their medicines and have their gifts and we have ways that we can embody them and be in relationship with them that are deeply important but venus besiegement the idea was that you know it was a time of some challenge for her not necessarily that venusian things weren't happening but we may have been encountering some issues with speed and slowness or undesired obstacles 
So Venus joining up with Saturn is a momentous occasion because it marks the end of the besiegement. Uh, Venus gets some air now. She's out from between that space. And if you're you know, wanting to learn more about the Venus besiegement, my friend Cameron Allen wrote a series of um, infographics about it that I thought was an amazing delineation about how Aquarius relates to subtle mental trauma in evolutionary astrology and that some of the um, difficulties that may have been coming up the last few weeks could have been about encountering these kind of triggers in relationship, working through them before um, the kind of healing energy of Venus and Pisces becomes more readily accessible. So I'll leave the link for that Instagram post in the notes as well. Now, Venus and Saturn come together for high aesthetic and relational standards, right? So perhaps any obstacle or any challenges that we've been thinking about, if we can get creative about our authority in the situation and what change or what um, action is desired of us, right? It's like, what, what kind of lives are we creating? What's our, where do we have responsibility or power in the situation? So these high aesthetic and relational standards, these standards are tyrannical and imprisoning if they are set up for failure, so if they're impossible, but otherwise they set up a real container for the physical, concrete materialization of our heart's desires. A healthy and meaningful relationship, a masterpiece of art, a lifestyle, a career, etc. So one thing you know to consider here is that sometimes people come up with these lists of what they're manifesting in their ideal partner, and they want some very specific things that are really uh, more a preference than a must-have. Um, right? Like something, something that's so much about the form or the appearance of something as opposed to a deeper energetic quality of like trust or this person... Um, has ongoing meaningful relationships in their lives. Like they've already, they're living a life of value as opposed to um, this, uh, I don't know, like someone having the same hobby as you might be important, but just thinking about where do you draw the line of like when you're creating this like ideal person, if it becomes a cage by which no one actually fits into that description, then that standard becomes just a way of keeping the heart guarded and keeping ourselves separate and alienated from relationship, right? And on the other hand, sometimes people need a little bit of um, consolidation around standards because things they're letting things fly and they're like okay with things and they're compassionate about things that are like actually really destructive um, in their lives. So negotiating boundaries um, doesn't just happen in relationship. It does happen as conversation, but it's also within in terms of like, what am I available for? What am I not? And that's um, so much a learning experience, I feel, more than just something we, we know. Maybe some people do, but I think boundaries are discovered in relationship and in experience. So I don't know if I said this, but if the standards are, um, you know, conducive, they can set up a real container for the physical concrete materialization of our heart's desires, a healthy and meaningful relationship, a masterpiece of art, a lifestyle, a career, etc. 
You know, these things don't just happen like they require making choices and sometimes um, the discipline to make good choices, even though we feel tempted to do something that we know would actually put us out of our um, authority. Right. Or like put us in a bad situation, even though it seems tempting and fun, it doesn't line up with the vision. Some boundaries are more permanent, you know, more like connected to our disposition. Some boundaries are event specific, you know, we're like in a very specific creative project and that relates to the time that we have um, to offer to people where we're in a specific emotional process and that relates to the time that we need to take for ourselves. Like, you know, these things are very organic. In Aquarius, the standards we might be considering now could be about resonance. Aquarius relates to our pursuit of being in deeper electric resonance with our own higher self, as well as connecting that electrically with others, right? So the higher self as a kind of concept, um, it's like a, a more fully realized like avatar version of ourselves. And I, when we have those moments of excitement or electricity or feeling lit up or alive, those are moments where we're like really hitting a chord of resonance with that higher self. So in addition to the higher, you know, our own higher self connecting electrically with others. So at the inner level, Venus and Aquarius meeting Saturn here could correspond with how willing we are to facilitate our uniqueness as opposed to suppressing it out of fear of alienation or loneliness. Like if I pursue this aspect of myself, no one will be there to meet me on the other end. So I'll just chill here where it's familiar and where I half-heartedly belong. Ouch. <laughs> Not fun. At an outer level, Venus and Saturn meeting in Aquarius is about how we cultivate community, friendship, and resonant relationship. We might want to be mindful of the ways we put ourselves in smaller boxes or try to fit others into smaller boxes in an effort to maintain connection, but at a cost, right? This isn't about not having standards or not having boundaries, but thinking about where we're applying compression to ourselves or others in a way that's not true. Instead, we likely need inner permission and inner authority to be inherently free, as well as relational skill sets to work with the surprises and openings of meeting dynamic relationships and being dynamic individuals ourselves. Hmm. I'm trying to feel if there's anything more that wants to be said in summation about this Venus Saturn in Aquarius. I mean, I am thinking about ways that we have, um, you know, I've been kind of familiarized with this in terms of like parts work, like inner parts and how we have certain personas that we feel very comfortable expressing or putting to the fore, um, being seen in. And then other personas or parts of our personality that we uh, really reject internally and try to hide and try to manicure. And the way that um, that creates distress in our own being and like a level of imprisonment in our own being. 
and what it's like to find deeper approval, inner permission for the parts of ourselves that we reject, right? Venus Saturn does relate to rejection, right? Having an aesthetic standard uh, is that like, you know, that dress is ugly. I'm never going to wear that. Like, get that out of my sight, <laughs> right? This part of me is not good. Like, I'm not going to relate with it. But then it's still there, right? And so if we're in situations where that part of our personality is activated, we're not expressing fully because we don't want to be seen in that area, right? Or if we do let it out, it feels like shameful. And it's like, gotta stuff that part of me back like into the shadows. So thinking about how, um, how we relate in terms of self-esteem, Venus and rejection, Saturn, Saturn saying no, Saturn restricting. And again, it's very situation dependent because there may be parts of ourselves where like, no, it's not appropriate to have you running the show right now. Like I'm here with you. I see you, but no. Right. And like having that standard or that boundary. Um, but still, how do you tend to that aspect of yourself or tend to that dimension of your self-esteem and self-concept? So then when we enter, um, you know, connection with others, Aquarius and like resonance and whatnot. Being free might be having the range to express what's true in the moment. And that is sourced from a deeper sense of permissioning within ourselves to be ourselves. And this is a, a general kind of initiation and struggle of the Aquarius archetype is that of individuation. Can I be myself? Can I be myself in my family unit? Can I be myself in my community? Can I be myself by leaving what I've known and leaving my hometown or leaving my community and going to find, you know, people I resonate more with? Can I liberate myself from my own paradigm to which I've been accustomed that is now becoming um, too constricting? So I will leave us there and just um, ask again if you, um, you know, haven't liked this video already, please do leave a comment. Let me know how you're doing and what resonated with you. And I'm sending love to all of you. Mm -hmm.